welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey, Carlos, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? Pretty well, actually. It's summer in Copenhagen, and that's rare. So it's a good day. Perfect. Perfect. So, so Carlos, I guess before we even get involved, I tend to ask my guests um, to kind of come up with a tagline or a summary of, of who they are. Um, what, should, what would yours be? I think mine would be that I am an uh, irreverent cowboy that designs extraordinary experiences. Oh, nice, nice. I like the, the insertion of cowboy. We'll, we'll get into that for sure. So before we, we even get into the good questions, I guess, what's, when, when you were in school and the, the teacher would kind of say, Klaus, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is it you would say when you was in school? For a long time, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to be teaching history and philosophy in high school. And it turned out I didn't. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, I think, Claus, we we engaged on LinkedIn a while back. Um, and I think we've had a, we've had a, we've had a Zoom call before as well, actually. Um, but maybe for for my from my listeners who don't know who you are, maybe you could give us a bit of a, a whistle stop tour of kind of who you are, where you've come from, to where you are right now. So I think the short version of that is that when I was in my teens, I started organizing live action role play events. So events where you pretend to be somebody else doing something else somewhere else. So putting on a costume and, and emerging, engaging in a Robin Hood story or be an orc for a weekend or a spaceship captain. And instead of just looking at it on a screen, it's improvised acting. So like theater, if the audience had gone home and somebody had torn up the script, but all the costumes and the sets are there. Okay, okay. So so I guess kind of where you're at right now is, where, where would you kind of say you are right now? Because I know... Looking on um, your LinkedIn, we've, there's a couple of things going on, which is awesome. One of them is kind of like the experienced design consultant and then the work with extraordinary um, experiences. Yes. Uh, after doing that for 25 years, more or less, then I, uh, I kind of shifted gears after crashing my company here in March. I spent 15 years building the world's largest live action role play company and it finally crashed and died in March after uh, 15 years of that, which is of course a terrible experience and not one I'd recommend. Um, but that's the, the, the short of it. And that means that I'm right now shifting gears and doing more experience design consulting and working on extraordinary learning experiences with the College of Extraordinary Experiences that some call the Harvard of Experience Design, a title which we of course suck up totally. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think kind of going back to the the initial, you know, the studio which you mentioned. I think the the shizzle reel what you did. Um, for anyone who who is listening to this, you know, when we when we publish it, take five minutes out of the day and, and watch that video. I I personally loved it. It's it's an awesome little kind of show reel for sure. Thank you. <laughs> no, 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 no problem. And then I guess kind of looking at one of the other videos which jumped out was was this forbidden video which you did. But I kind of I kind of want to touch upon a little bit on on kind of well, there's two things which jump out straight away is you've got probably one of the best um, endorsements I've ever seen on LinkedIn, which is pulling miracles out my ass and and getting away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I when I started for a long time, I didn't use LinkedIn. And then when I started using it, I thought I would at least try to remain myself. So I put that in as a skill. And ironically enough, a lot of people I know endorse that. So I think it has like 140 or so endorsements for that particular skill. 
Yeah, I love that. So I was wondering if we could maybe jump into that and kind of see see where, kind of what miracles you've been you've been pulling out your ass recently. So yeah, kind of anything that jumps to mind. Yeah, we could do that. I think the, the the short thing to say is that everyone has a superpower or two. We all have something that we're exceptional at. And one of the things that I've found out that I'm exceptional at is that when things go south, I always have not only one extra backup plan, but 10. And when I've gotten to number eight of those, I've developed five more. So it doesn't mean that things don't, don't always, they always work. They don't always, but I rarely stop trying. And that means that I've sometimes managed to get myself out of very tricky situations. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so I guess kind of where, where you're at right now is, is you know, the, the kind of College of Extraordinary Experiences and, and kind of, you know, Experience Design Consultant. And Experience Design, I think that's the reason why why our paths cross. I, you know, this is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about myself. But kind of what, what, does, your, what does a world of the Experience Design Consultant look like for you? For me, it's it's a little bit weird because I've now gotten into the territory where most of my work is under non-disclosure agreements. So I can say that I do extremely interesting stuff for very big clients, but I'm not allowed to be too specific. But one of the things, just to give an example, could be for the, the World Expo 2020 in Dubai, thinking about things like visitor experience to pavilions. So people, there are these 25 million people expected to go there. And somebody, of course, some architects have dreamed up marvelous masterpieces to show off the different countries. But what is the actual experience like when you're there? Not what's it built of, but what does it feel like? And where do you change that? And essentially coming up with solutions that usually don't cost a lot of money, but mainly are about shifting mindset, if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, no, massively. And I think, you know, when, when we talk about experiences, that not kind of that when I've seen it talked about in the past with other people, it, it becomes that thing what's overlooked. It, for me, experience design is very visceral, very kind of emotive, and and you know, every experience is is. I kind of I recently I published an article talking about kind of how experience design is kind of like an onion, and it's a layer upon a layer upon a layer of of, yes, of detail. Exactly, and it's all about the glasses we look at. If you're a product designer, you look at materials, you look at shape, you look at how things are produced. If you're a service designer, you look at things like, how does the experience flow? How do you make it more efficient? How do you make sure people know what the buttons mean and they're going in the right direction? And if you look at experience design, you're looking at how does it make them feel? And what does it make them want to do? Or how does it change their lives? So I think you can go into, for example, a bathroom and look at it with these different lenses and you'll get different answers and different focuses even though there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I recently did some work. Have you heard of Punch Drunk over here in the UK? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I, I was kind of, I was with them a couple of, of, well, probably about two months back now. I did two days. Nice. Yeah, that was very, very intense, but literally probably one of the best experiences I've ever had, just from a personal development point of view, and, and actually just being with people who are like-minded, and, and, you know, the people you can geek out with, right? They're, they're the people who get it, so it's it's always good when you can find a place where you call home. So I yeah. guess I guess kind of going going to this emotional experiences thing and and talking about um, kind of you know where, where where we're at with the College of Extraordinary Experiences. So obviously, given the nature of what what the college is about and and how much you can give away and whatnot, but yeah, maybe you could share about a little bit about what that is and and kind of where where that's coming from. Sure. 
Sure. Uh, the College of Extraordinary Experiences is a weird beast. It's, it's sort of a non-conference. What it is is five days at a beautiful medieval castle in Poland with experienced designers from all over the world sharing ideas and going through experiences and learning, but very much not in a traditional speaker audience conference sort of format. So it's, it's a bunch of workshops and informal gatherings and things you do together and a lot of connecting with interesting people. So what we try to do is essentially get the right mix of people together, uh, get them to go through interesting experiences and let them share and, and kind of lower their guards so they can find out how awesome they are together and alone. That, that's the short kind of what it is. And where it comes from is that it started, it started with frustration with tourist conferences. Paul, who I work with, has a master's degree in innovation and tourism and wrote a book about gamification and tourism. And he said the tourist conferences are all the same. They all have nice locations. They have nice food. They have medium to excellent speakers. And people exchange business cards, and that's it. And he wanted to do something that hit people right in the gut and made them not go home with a new tool, but with a new mindset. And, and then we thought, how do we do, how do we use tools from my background, from live action role playing and from event design to, to do this and, and to kind of combine this with innovation tools. And then we figured out that we were going to do something that was a little bit different. <laughs> and, and one of our core, core questions was, what if you have a table with four people? One of them is a Formula One race driver. One of them is a surgeon. One of them is a Hollywood filmmaker and one of them is a jazz musician. What conversations will they have? And we all agreed that that would be interesting because experts in any field can usually teach other experts something, even if it's a vastly different field because of lateral thinking. So we thought, what if we gather people from different fields instead of from the same field? And what if the focus is on experience design, which is multidisciplinary instead of on a specific field? And what if it's not about tools only, but also about mindsets and community? And that's how it was born. Cool, cool, uh, and and you know, I guess we've got a, a couple of mutual friends in in that respect. Kenny from you know, um, we got Kenny. We, uh, I've had yeah, pa- yeah, sure. I've had Paul on the podcast. Hi, Kenny. Yeah. Um, Paul was on the podcast a couple of months ago, um, and I had uh, Werner on there as well a couple a couple of weeks back. And it's interesting. I think this the College of Extraordinary Experiences for me. You know, having not been on that, but you know, talking to the people who who are in it, it just it. It just ticks so many boxes, and <laughs> and and, and I think anyone who who is in experience design and and wants to make this the thing what drives them, what gets them out of bed in the morning, they're doing a, a disservice by not looking at this and and not taking it seriously and going right. This is something I need to do, not just from a you know from a geeky point of this is what I'm passionate about, but actually from your own development point of view, it's, it's so hard to find these things which. Which kind of you know approach pr- approach experience from a kind of very detailed and broke down way, but while while providing the experience, it's fascinating. Thank you. I I think to be uh, to be a little bit uh, humble about it, we see more of these things popping up over the place. There are more and more of these kind of exceptional or extraordinary retreats or gatherings that kind of break the classic mold. Um, but we're very happy to be in that group, and. Uh, and I think that, I think our, our core belief is that everyone is, at the end of the day, an experienced designer. 
It doesn't matter what business you're in. It doesn't matter what field or it doesn't matter what your job title is. At the end of the day, you design experiences. And of course, for some people, it's more clear than others. If you're a Disney Imagineer working on theme park rides, there's no doubt about it. But if you're a policeman, then you're also designing experiences. And you may not be able to change the law, thank God for that, but mm -hmm. you can definitely change the experience of when you uphold it. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people don't really see what a, a police officer has to learn from a Disney Imagineer and vice versa. And I think what, what we try to do is to create a stage where people can, can have those conversations and can go back and say, wow, I talked with this woman. She has a machine that speaks to plants. And even though I think it was a bit weird, I actually learned something powerful. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, I, I get asked quite a lot of how, how do I stay ahead of the curve in, in you know, learning and organizational design development. And I say the first thing I do is not look at learning and organizational design development because everyone tends to be doing the same thing. And by doing that, you're not really challenging anything or bringing anything new to the table. And it's that, that connecting them dots, right? That kind of thinking of what is Bob doing over there in, I don't know, product design or what is what is Sue doing over there in, in, in certain other industry name. And I think that's why this, this college is just amazing. It's amazing. So I guess kind of, you know, not, not you know, I guess what what's the future of, again, being, you know, very light on detail because of, of what the college is about. But what's the future of, of the College of Extraordinary Experiences? Where do you see that kind of progressing? I, I see it progressing in three ways. One is our flagship event, the college itself, is of course going to happen. And whether we bump it up so we do two a year at some point or do one in Europe and one in the US or one in Asia, who knows? We'll see. But kind of the core event is going to stay and there'll be more of those. So that's that's no doubt. And as that happens more and more, the alumni uh, the alumni group, the alumni community grows. And one thing that we see as the most powerful is that people form these strong connections so they actually meet after events. We, we sometimes joke that at a, at a business conference, if you're unlucky, you come home with five business cards and you never mail anyone. Here you come home with 10 phone numbers of people you feel comfortable calling on a Thursday afternoon just to chat. So we see that there are community meetups and there's projects that are started at the college and there are, I mean, we even have a wedding coming up that came out at the college. So that I guess that counts as a project too, though it'll more be about spending money than earning it. But, uh, but we have a lot of things that come out of the college and the more we do it, the more of those there'll be. Because one thing is the people that meet each other there, but there are also people from different years who connect and say, oh, you're from the class of 2016. I'm from the 2018 class. We happen to have an overlap. How about we collaborate because we share this experience? So we're going to see more of that. And of course, more of the core events. And then the third thing is on the side, the college is a production company where we also do extraordinary productions, mm. meaning working with, with outsiders on doing interesting things. And some of those are pretty wild. Wow. So, so that's that's where I see things going. More of the same, more community that kind of builds on itself and more crazy projects that we get involved with as the kind of the core company people doing on the side. Awesome. 
Awesome. So, so the, the the college opens, I guess, is it the twenty third to twenty seventh of September? Is that right? Yes, yeah. this year. Yes. Yeah. So, for them who are listening, I I highly recommend you get booked onto that like now. So, I guess kind of we have to say if anybody's listening, they have to be pretty fast. We're we're running out of uh, of space fast. Yeah. Yep, I, I think that's a, I think that's a great show. I think that's a great show. So I, I kind of want to get into a little bit about kind of what what shapes you and and you know we are all we are all the kind of built up of our own our own personal experiences to where we are today. So I want to talk about probably an experience what you can probably remember quite quite vividly. When was the first time you ever got in trouble? The first time I ever got in trouble. Uh, ironically, I don't really remember that. Ah. And I think that says a lot about me because one of the things that I'm an expert at is making mistakes. Okay. Okay. I'm, it's been said by a lot of people that I am less afraid of mistakes than most people are. And that means I make more of them, a lot more. But I also make more other things and learn more things because mistakes are great teachers. Okay then. So let's let's throw a different question at that one then. So obviously we we you know when when we go for interviews and and kind of whatever else and we we're, we're told we've got to show this best version of ourselves and all the success. And actually, I think one of the things we should be asking is actually what does your failure resume look like? So I oh guess- shit! I I think there you've struck some uh, some unusual metal because I rarely talk only about my successes. I very much talk about my failures. Right now, I'm more than a million dollars in personal debt because of my company crashed. And I don't think anyone counts that as a success. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting one. So, so I mean, you know, with, with regards to kind of, you know, the, the business and whatnot, if, if, if we were to kind of look at that again and go, okay, let's pretend we can turn back time. Is there anything you would change off that or would you say? Oh, shit. There's so many things I would change. I mean, uh, point one thing I would change was when we started the company, my brother and I back in 2006, we didn't have the money needed to form a limited liability company. So we did it as a kind of unlimited liability personally owned. And that went fine for a while. And then I, my brother left to do other stuff. I got a new partner who's with me for the rest of the ride. And uh, we at one point had the cash to make, to convert it into a limited liability company. And we chose not to do so because if it's unlimited, people can't really look as much into your book. So you can, you can puff yourself up larger. You're a bigger bullfrog. And we wanted to do that because it made our negotiating position with partners and, uh, and clients better. Now, cut to 10 years later or <laughs> quite a few years later, when we're insanely in debt and the thing is crashing and we know that if it crashes, not only will the company go down, but we as people, as individuals, and at the end, me, will be hanging on all the debt personally. I think looking back, I would have changed that decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of yeah. course, we would have crashed much before because we wouldn't have done these desperate gambles to stay afloat. But uh, I think that might have been wiser. It would be nice today not to owe a million dollars to other people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can't even relate to that. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Luckily, most people can. Yeah, but uh. I mean, it's 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 easy, right? We look at this kind of peak end theory, we look at the high point and the end result, and we go, okay, that's the that's our built up self of our experience, and and I bet you know that that being one of the the moments. But I bet I bet it sounds like you had so many awesome 
I say the ride must have been awesome. Oh yeah, and it still is. It still is. But it uh, I, I, one of the things that I think differentiates me from a lot of other people is that I, I at a core level, I grasp the fact that the wild successes I've had have been because of wild gambles, and the wild failures I've had have because been because of the same wild gambles that just didn't pan out. And I've found a lot of people, also with my projects, talk about the successes like, yeah, of course this was going to be a success. And the failures like, of course this was going to be a failure. And the reality is that neither of them were known. And it's very easy to look in hindsight and say, but of course it makes sense. And a lot of people quickly forget how close shaves there were. The Second World War, if you look at the U.S. before the war, war, before them stepping into the war, this was not the nation that came out of it. And the odds of them taking on the role they did and coming out as the unquestioned superpower of the world, those odds were incredibly low. But now when we look back at it, nobody questions it. It's like, of course it was like that. But if you went back to 1940, it was a different picture. And I, I see that happening a lot. People will say, oh, but of course Apple did this, or of course Facebook is big, or of course one or the other thing. There's no guarantees. And whenever you look at interesting entrepreneur stories, whether it's Disney or Apple or the cool vegan sandwich shop down the corner, they're always riddled with, or almost always riddled with gambles and things going almost wrong before hitting a turning point. There are very few success stories that are just linear. Yeah, I, I like that. I think I think Seth Godin calls it. It's kind of like the dip. I He's think. one of my heroes. Yeah, I, I I kind of just listening to it that night. It kind of felt like it was it's more like in his book the dip. He talks about that dip before yes. before the 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 moment. I guess hindsight. It's a, on the bookshelf. Yeah, and and hindsight's a wonderful thing, eh? It's a it's a wonderful thing. So I guess kind of going going back into if you know I think. I'm I'm a keen reader. Um, I love books, so this question is kind of like a personal one for me. But if I was to ask you to give give a book to five people, and this book could be the book what either shaped your way of thinking or changed your life, and you have to give it to a gift to five people, what what book would you give as a gift? I think Seth Godin's Lynchpin would be a, a strong contender for that book. Okay, and why? Because it talks about how to become indispensable. Not about getting a certain job title or a certain skill, but about how to work in a way and think in a way that makes other people want to work with you. Okay. Seth, Seth is interesting. I like the kind of the whole all MBA, what he does and stuff. I find that really interesting, that kind of take on what he's doing there with that. Um, but I haven't, I haven't, I'll be honest, I've not, I've not read Lynchpin, so... Yeah, I'll get that one on, on the um on the If you're one of the five people, I'd say go for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> so so I guess kind of like this one is, is you know, when we talk about you're you're in the experience design world. Um and other than the College of Extraordinary Experiences, what's the one immersive experience or the one experience which which you've had recently which has kind of stepped out which has jumped out and been the, the one where you go oh this is good or this is great that i've that i've had or that i've designed um oh that's a good question let's let's do both um one what you've had and then one what you've designed aha uh-huh. 
what I've had recently. So right now I have a 15 month old daughter and uh, I'm not sure I'd call her a designed experience, but it's definitely uh, an intense one. And that not only has cut off my, uh, my access to a lot of other stuff due to lack of time, but also gives me some new perspectives. Um, so even though it's a little bit of a weird thing to answer the question with, I'd say that having been an entrepreneur for many years and then suddenly becoming a father has been a pretty wild experience because there's, it's easy to see so many overlaps. And I actually think it's excellent training for becoming a parent, being an entrepreneur first, or if you're going to be an entrepreneur, be a parent first. Uh, okay. Because there's a lot of overlap that you're constantly, I even wrote a blog post about it, that you're, you're constantly outside your comfort zone. And whenever you feel you get the hang of things, reality has changed. Okay. I was a much better leader of a company of five people than of 25 people. But the thing that made me a successful leader of five also helped lead to us becoming 25. Interesting. Interesting. So, so I guess maybe, maybe, so that's kind of the, the one experience which, which comes out to you. Which one really, which one is the one what you've maybe designed? Let's, let's do that one. Um, yeah. So a little while ago, in, in the summer of 2017, I was part of the, the core team of, that designed the road trip LARP experience, the road trip live action role play that Paul was on as well. And there we drove 4,000 kilometers along Route 66 as a fake rock band playing real uh, gigs along the way. Wow. That's sad. <laughs> So it was essentially the rock band tour experience, except we were not a band and we were not on a real tour. But since we pretended to be, to everyone else, we were. So it was a, a weird mixture of reality and fiction. And it kept crisscrossing because you had to, when you were, while pretending to be somebody else, you had to draw on your own experiences and your own stories or made up ones that you knew. And for a week, I was the music video producer, Rick Stevenson, which was essentially a version of myself dialed up to 11, but just in an American patriotic, over poetic way. Wow. That sounds awesome. It, have, you, have you journaled this anywhere? This, this yeah. Kind of... there's a, on my blog, there's a, a, I haven't finished the series yet. There's a 15-part run-through of it. And I think I've only written 11, uh, 11 parts. And there's also a small video trailer if you search for road trip and LARP on YouTube. Okay. I'll, but yeah, it's, it's one of the wildest projects I've done because not because of the size of it. We were only 22 people for this prototype, but because of the, both the scale, it was an event that ran for 4,000 kilometers and, and because of the mixture of reality and fiction. Hmm. So, so I guess, the, the the thing what's really standing out for me now is on that is you know i think in the experience design there's a, there's a quite a big focus on the experience design for one so kind of i think punch drunks stand out for this they did one a couple of a couple of, probably a couple of years back now where the, the the immersive phase if you like was for one one member one you know voyeur i guess um and it, it, that sounds the thing what you're talking about there sounds I, I guess I just started firing off on different ideas of where you could take that. So, yeah, sorry. Well, me just rambling <laughs> on. 
So I guess kind of when it comes to when it comes to experience design over here in the UK, I'd say there's probably about a handful of people who who get it, who do it, and who share. And and I guess in in the corporate world over here in the UK, it seems like it seems like experience design is is a thing what is is really misunderstood, and um, and in that respect, it's hard to bring that in into the com- into the corporate environment. So what do you, I mean? Have you seen that challenge at all? And and kind of why do you think that is? So I think one thing that's very important to to note here is that one of the reasons we have a tough job is because others have succeeded like hell. And those others are the digital UX designers. Because when you say, hey, I'm, I'm an experience designer, people will usually say, oh, you're like a user experience, cool, but we don't really need a website. <laughs> and I say, no, 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 I might as well design a restaurant experience or a hotel or a cruise ship or a festival. And like, oh, but I thought you were, you were like a user experience designer. It's like, yeah, I am. But, but like, but, but no website, no apps, like, no, no, no. Like there are other experiences. Oh, oh yeah. So, so I think part of it is that our colleagues in UX and in general in the digital space have been so bloody successful in taking over the world that the rest of us are stumbling behind simply because we're not them. And, and the second is that to be fair to people, in general, the more specific you are in telling what you do, the easier it is to understand. If I tell somebody, I take old Rolls Royces and then I paint them pink and I fix them up and I sell them to uh, pride parades. It's like, okay, sounds cool. I understand what you do. If I say I refurbish old cars, you're like, okay, I think I know what you do, but I'm not sure I have the exact process. If I say I'm a, I'm a visual mechanic, they're like, okay. What, what's going on here and if i say that i'm a i'm an auto artist nobody has a clue what's going on even though they may all be about actually doing the same thing and i think that that for a lot of us since we want to have the the breadth we want to be broad in what we do because we have broad we have kind of we we we're afraid of being deep and that means that that we get away from the specific to encompass all that we do where the more specific we are the easier it is for other people to do Okay, so, so if I was to say to you, explain to me what you do, is it then you, that's one say? of my problems right now, is that I do so many different things and they're not easily encompassed. So I used to be the world's leading producer of high production value blockbuster live action role play events in spectacular locations. That was what who I used to be, and that was easy. I did this one very very specific thing, and me and my team did it very very well. And that was what we did. But then on the side, I did leadership training, which is not a natural combination. It's not if you're looking for somebody to fix your sink and the guy says, oh, but I'm also an excellent dance instructor. You, you didn't see that coming. Yeah. And you're definitely not going to see it as a natural uh, complement to being able to fix a sink. And one of my problems is right now that after kind of blowing up my previous career and redefining myself, I have several several things I do that don't necessarily neatly fit together. So I'm both an experience design consultant, I do leadership training, I'm a startup entrepreneur, and uh, I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. 
it's it's really interesting this and i think this kind of this 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 thing of being being able to identify as one thing is is slowly but surely coming well yeah like i can i i could probably identify to three or four things um but it's interesting i, I did a post recently about actually what is experience design and i kind of highlighted that that very thing what you mentioned of it isn't ux it isn't service design it's 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 not that and the assumption is is that it is that and it's it's an interesting one i think we see that quite a lot where people take these terms they water them down and still use the term what they are so like a prime example of this is design thinking right now you know people are using everyone's a design thinking expert and really all they're doing is ideation sessions and it's like hmm we i think we see that a lot where someone takes a term waters it down and unfortunately loses its value over time because of that i think a large part of it is that we're afraid to specialize because it's going to cost us identity and or customers because even when i when i say i'm an experienced designer people say what the hell is that and i say well i'm like multidisciplinary i can do anything like great we'll get the specialists where if i went out and said i design visitor flow for festivals then I'm like, oh, ooh, that's exactly what we need if we're a festival that needs visitor flow design. But a bank might think, hmm, maybe he could do something with banks, but they're never going to think about how to make their how to make their cinema a better experience because they'll think, okay, he knows about visitor flow and that's his thing. So the problem is that problems are specific, but the people who provide the solutions want to tell us that they provide more than one solution. And those who are the most successful are often because they're big companies or strong companies that are broad, like what does Disney do? Yeah. Disney does everything. But if you want to compete with Disney, you can't do it by saying, we're like Disney, just better. Nobody's going to buy that. <laughs> but if you say, we take, we take 50s animated films and uh, remake them into, uh, kind of, uh, into kind of real actor movies, into feature films, which Disney's doing a lot right now, you might have a niche. But if you said, we also do theme parks and merchandise and cruise ships and all that, you're like, no, no, you're dead. So I think part of it is that we're simply afraid to specialize or to, to tell the world specifically what we do because we feel it diminishes us because we can also do other stuff. And we're afraid of losing customers. I mean, you're a podcast host. But if somebody asks you, do you do other stuff? You'll probably have more things that you say, yeah, I can also do this and this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And then, of course, there are the people who go so far and become so successful that they dare to do one thing only. That they are podcast hosts or they are jazz musicians or their thing is fixing this bit on printers, except they're just that good at it that everyone gets them to do it. But most of us kind of get stuck somewhere being multidisciplinary because, or, or kind of being broad because that has strengths. But I think the real strength is if you can find something you're extremely good at that people understand and need and then dare to dive into that. So so I guess kind of just being being mindful of your time here, Close, as well. So when it comes to kind of the learning development world, how, how do you think we can embrace experience design? I think we can make it into a thing they understand by being more specific. And I think that that is the way to do it. Um, that if you tell somebody again, if you say that, hi, learning world, we're experienced designers, we can help m make things better. 
you're not going to get a foot in the door unless you have another reason to do so. But if you say, hi, I'm an experienced designer. My specialty is in engaging students in high school so that they pay more attention by doing different, by, by changing the layout of the classroom. Suddenly ears will perk up. Okay. Okay. So, so how, I guess, just a follow-up question, and maybe, maybe, maybe there's an argument to say we should do a part two of this one for sure. Um, we can. <laughs> but I guess kind of, you know, in, in a world where we're seeing, you know, the kind of punch drunks, the meow wolves, the museums of ice creams, all these different experiences, where do you, where do you see the future of experience design going? More, a ton of it more. Because if there's one thing that's becoming more and more clear, it is that Pine and Gilmore were right. The experience economy is here and it is growing and it is growing fast. And even places that don't know the terminology and don't really bring in the experts are trying to create experiences. We're, we're more and more of the world is getting the basics in order. And of course, if you're struggling to get food, you're not super interested in how the checkout experience is, is from the emergency aid station that hands you a bag of rice. That's not your priority. That's getting the damn bag of rice. But once you've gotten to a place where a lot of us are, especially in the Western world and in, in many other parts, then, then you're looking for experiences. You're looking how to improve your bus ride that you take every day. Or you're looking for how to make your work more pleasant not necessarily more effective, but like a better experience, how to make things, how to change the human perception, if not the human reality. Cool, cool. Okay, yeah. I mean, Joe, I speak with Joe quite a bit. Um, in fact, I recorded him just yesterday on the podcast. Um, oh, very nice. Yeah, he's a, he's a top guy, Joe. Um, so I guess, you know, I think we should do part two because I've got so many other questions where I think we could talk, you know, another hour about this. But <laughs> But before we do part two, where can people find out a little bit more about maybe the College of Extraordinary Experiences, a little bit of what you're up to and whatnot? Where can we go? So to find the college, it's at extraordinary.college. Okay. Okay. And, and, and what about your writing, your personal writing? And, and where can we find out a bit more information about the road trip and stuff, what you've been on? If people are uh, crazy enough to dive down the rabbit hole, that is my productions and content online, then Googling my name, Klaus Rosted, is going to get them very far. I have a, a solid Google footprint or a digital footprint. And since there's nobody else by that name in the world, it's pretty easy to find me. But I will, uh, I will warn that it's, uh, it's a, <laughs> a wild tangle of everything from weird talk videos to relationship advice to experience design to crazy ass projects awesome awesome well i think fundamentally that's that's the reason why they should go and read that um i think <laughs> most of your posts are on medium as well so i can i can link that in the show notes because it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for um for, for coming on the show thank you for having me and let me know when we're doing part two. Oh, i i will don't you worry about that my friend thanks enjoy the rest of the day class will do thanks then bye